Howdy, y'all. Did you know that you can ease aches, pains, and inflammation, even arthritis, with topical CBD? Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream provides immediate relief by combining the powerful regenerative properties of CBD with other active botanical ingredients. Each bottle of Cosmetics Hemp Pain Cream is packed with 400 milligrams of their patented water-soluble CBD. That is to ensure maximum absorption into the skin. Be kind to your skin and head over to Cosmedicated.com. C-A-U-S-E medicated.com. Use the South of Scruffy promo code SOS20 and get 20% off of your entire order. All right, let's do it. Welcome in, guys. South of Scruffy podcast. My name is Ben Fields. I'm the host of this podcast. Thank you for listening. I've got Bill Foster on the show today. Uh, Bill Foster is a photographer and a former political science professor at the University of Tennessee. Uh, Bill's also a very gifted writer. He writes for Blank Newspaper um, on occasion. I just read an article uh, that he had written for Blank Newspaper. Uh, it was a review of the Tyler Childers and Sturgill Simpson concert that came through Knoxville uh, this past week. Uh, the words and photos are all bills on that. That's blanknews.com. You can check that out. I was actually at that show. Good good big week of concerts. Um, very good review from Bill on that. As we go into Super Tuesday, it, it was nice to have a, a bona fide political scientist to, to talk about what's really going on out there. So that was cool. And I appreciate Bill being a part of the show. Um, very gracious that he, that he came by, sat down with me. Um, I hope you guys get a kick out of it, man. We we covered some stuff. We got pretty heavy on big ears. Uh, talked about that a little bit. Um, I'm definitely going this year. For those of you that have been bothering me about not ever going, I'm going. All right? Guys, let's do it. Here we go. Bill Foster. Yeah, that's not Sounds good. good to me. It does. Yeah. Bill, thanks for coming, man. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. What are you, uh, what are you working on these days? What are you, what are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, working in Oak Ridge and taking pictures. Yeah. Same, and trying to write when I have time, but you're a good writer, man. I um, well, thank you. Yeah, we, uh, you and I worked together on a on a photo job uh, for Toyota. Um, it was a Roman Carpenter. Oh yeah, deal. I remember that at, at McGill Toyota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we did that a while back, and that was the first time I met you. I'd been familiar with your photography work before that. But... When I had to get all those permissions to fly my drone six feet off the ground, <laughs> <laughs> that close to the airport, I guess. Yeah. I guess it's important. Um, what do you do in Oak Ridge? I work for a nanotechnology company. Oh, cool. What's what's that? <laughs> um, we make really tiny measurements of things. Oh, cool. So when you um like a. 50,000th of a human hair, tiny. Oh, wow. yeah. So when, like, everything in the world has coatings on it, like a, your typical car has, like, eight coatings on it. Coatings? Like, coatings yeah. over the paint, oh, different kinds okay. of things. And so if you want to measure one without measuring what's underneath it, so think of if you press on a piece of paper yeah. on a table, Yeah. at what point are you not feeling the paper and you're feeling the table? Yeah. So you need a really small, light, tiny measurement yeah. to measure the paper instead of the table. So what's the, unit of, what's the unit of measure? Microns or? Is nanometers. It? Nanometers. We're accurate down to about 20 nanometers. Okay. So a typical hair is 50,000 nanometers thick. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's small. Yeah. How would you get into that after a, a lifetime of photography? Well, I didn't have a lifetime. Of, I mean, I had yeah. a lifetime of photography as an amateur, but in the Navy I was a calibration technician. Oh. Until I got assigned to NATO and did other stuff, but but my main training in the Navy was a measurement technician. Cool. And then so this kind of related to that. Yeah. And, and I worked for this company for ten years, ten years ago. Okay. And lots of stuff happened. It got broken up into different companies. It actually got broken up into three different companies. Gotcha. For like ten years. Type. Yeah, I era? got laid off in two thousand nine. Okay. And we got bought by and. Everybody who got laid off started a new company. Yeah. But I wanted to be a photographer, so I went and did that. Well, actually, I went and taught at UT, then I went to be a photographer. What did you teach at UT? Political science. Oh. And then, um, and then, but eventually the three groups, this company came along, KLA, who was a great corporation out of California. They bought all three and put us all back together. Oh, cool. So. That's neat. So in the Navy, what, what what's that about? Thanks for your service, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate well, it. Well, you know, I... I drank wine and hung out with Italian girls, but you're welcome. I'll be happy to do it again. (laughs) 
When did you when did you join? I was in the Navy from 1983 to 2004. Oh hell, 21 years. It's amazing, man. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen a picture floating around of, of you and Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was in Kosovo. Was it? So that was. He was lying to me in that picture. Was he really? Yeah. Oh, oh, Slick Willie was lying to <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah, I'd asked him a question about, you know, refugees and everything, and he, he was lying. Yeah. Um, how, how'd you end up in the Navy? Well, where'd you grow up and all that? I grew up in all of I mean, if you see my tattoo, I have a tattoo on my arm of 27 places. Oh, that you've lived? And that's all the places I lived. So was and your I'm, dad in the military too? Is that- my dad was in the military, and then my mom got divorced, and we moved a lot because of that. And then uh-huh. my mom married a couple of new guys, and we moved because of that. And so yeah. I went to like 20 different schools. I went to three different high schools. Oh, hell. You know, over six years. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's super, uh, super sophomore there. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I was a super freshman and then a super sophomore. And then, well, um, where'd you spend most of your time? Growing up, or like your formative years, I guess you spent all over. Really, right? nowhere. I mean, I tell people if people ask me, I either say I'm from Washington D.C. or I'm from Savannah. Okay, so I was born in Savannah, and that's all my earliest memories. And we moved back there like three different times. Oh, really? but I also lived in suburbs of D.C. like three different times, and I actually graduated in Hagerstown, Maryland, or Williamsport, if you want to be picky. But okay, same difference. So your dad was in in the military. What was in the he? Air Force? In the Air Force. What yeah. was his What was his story? What did he do? Um, he was a computer technician, yeah. and then he got out and he worked for a um, for a newspaper, yeah. and he did all the IT stuff for a newspaper. Cool. So I didn't learn near as much from him as I should have because he was, I mean, a you know we had a computer modem back in like like in 1979 when you had to like <laughs> dial a number and yeah. pick up your your telephone. Yeah. Because we used to have these things called telephones with dials on them. Yeah. And you had to pick it up and put it in a cushion and it would make the noise and everything. No way. And, and back when we were our um our hard drive was a Radio Shack cassette player. You know, <laughs> and you stored yeah. you stored your programs on a cassette. On tape. And um Wow, I didn't know that Al Gore invented the internet by seventy nine. Yeah, yeah, not quite. There was some stuff, but not quite that. That's cool, man. Uh your mom was she was she uh working too or um well I'm I mean, it's complicated. I didn't talk to my mom much at that period, so I don't know. She worked for Lowe's for like thirty years, so she was a um, she did all their all the accounting and everything for a Lowe's store. They both they both around still. Your parents? No, my father unfortunately passed away um about six months ago. Oh man, I'm sorry. Yeah, my mom's still around. Gotcha. And she's in Jackson, Tennessee, with my sister. Man, you guys uh make up and all that. You guys still keep in touch and. You know, yeah, is what it is, but yeah, complicated, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. So, what, what, uh, when the photography things start, I always took pictures, but I got serious about it around 2000 because of two things. So, one was that I was in Kosovo, yeah, and there were all these beautiful Serbian Orthodox churches. And um, and they look like Greek Orthodox churches. You know, they have the tabernacle that only men can go behind, and all the walls are frescued and everything. And so they're like Catholic times 10. They're just really beautifully decorated. And they were all in danger of being destroyed at any time. So I just wanted to take pictures of these things like in, of, um, I can't remember the names of them now, Grechnika and Petch and these beautiful churches. I really wanted to just take pictures of them in case something happened to them. So I bought a nice camera to do that. But at the same time, I'd always taken snapshots, and I had a crappy film camera, but I never really paid attention to what I was doing or why. And there was this prototypical social network that started at the time called Photonet, photo.net. And my girlfriend, Laura, and I, we kind of got competitive on it, and we just started posting pictures, and it was the first time I had this experience that everybody has now of um, posting a picture and have some total stranger See you know, it and say, react see to it. See it and react to it and like it. Yeah. And and so we started, you know, it just made, made me get more serious and it made me start paying attention to why a picture is good. Instead of just thinking, oh, people like this picture, it made me think why people like that picture and what I had to do to make it better and, and everything. Gotcha. And just like now, it was, there was always, you know, one person who really criticized you, but that one person was really valuable. Just like, it's really hard, you know, everybody... Tells you it's so easy as a photographer to put a picture of a sunset. Everybody's like, "Oh, your picture is so great!" <laughs> and you get a big 
you know, huge head and everything, but it doesn't mean anything. If it's just a picture of a nice sunset, you know, that doesn't make it art. Yeah. And you need, it's really hard to get honest criticism through social media. Sure. And to really learn what you were doing wrong so you can improve. Yeah. But um, PhotoNet was pretty good because it was all photographers. Yeah, so critics so, abound. They didn't abound. You know, it was probably only 10% of the people, but those 10% were really helpful. Yeah, that's you good. Know? Yeah, I remember, I, it must have been right around the time we were shooting that Toyota stuff together. I remember seeing one of your photos, and it was in some publication. It might have been the Metro Pulse. It might have been the Mercury. It was right around the time the Metro Pulse was going away, I think. Uh, but it was a really great sunset photo of the JFG building, I believe. And, I, and mm-hmm. they had asked you about it, and you and you'd commented on how you got the how you got the photo in the in the publication. And I was like, well, he, that's pretty articulate. He made that sound pretty simple. <laughs> but I mean, that's years of like years of of, of practice. You said, you know, move my feet a couple inches so I could get the sun, you know, the reflection yeah, of the so sun. Because I, right I wanted spot. to come right through the window. Yeah. So I moved a little bit. But it, in that same interview. I had said that it was a nighttime, a sunset picture yeah. that I was walking back from um, a festival with Scott West, and I stopped yeah. to take it. I don't know why I remember that, because the sun rises there. It doesn't set there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you were out late. So I was obviously wrong. but <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, man, I, I don't know how I got most you know familiar with your, your stuff starting out. Um, <laughs> But I always remember seeing your little water watermark on the bottom and Bill Foster photo, a bunch of stuff from Press Now that it's little. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be so big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I remember seeing a bunch of your stuff, and it was almost mythic to me. I'm like, all these great photos are coming out of this this one dude. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. So start, starting out with film then, and, and PhotoNet was all kind of film yeah, era and stuff. I've actually, I just, I bought a scanner recently, and I scanned all my old film film pictures, like 4,000 of them, and probably like 300 of them are <laughs> worth preserving. Really? But, um, yeah. But it's nice because it's all, you know, some places I haven't been back since I went to digital camera. Yeah. You know, like, especially a lot of places. I lived in Spain at that time, so there's a lot of places in Spain I haven't been back to. And so it's nice to have those. Where where all, where all else did you live overseas? Kosovo and Spain and where else? Um, Well... I mean, I've, I've visited like 70 countries, but I lived wow. in in Italy for seven years, and then in Spain for three years, and then in Italy for seven years again. Wow. So. And you've had a... And then a few months in Istanbul, and yeah, and that's about How's it. that place, Istanbul? It was awesome when I was there. Yeah. Um, again, my ex-girlfriend, Laura, was there, so I went and stayed with her. Um, I hear it's, you know, it's not quite the same now. Right. But Yeah. So how'd you end up in Knoxville? My parents were here. Okay. They lived here when I, my mom. Yeah. And stepdad lived here when I got out of the Navy. Okay. And I stayed in Italy for like six months after I got out of the Navy and then came here. Gotcha. Um, so... Uh, you said that you went and taught at the University of Tennessee. Did you? Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to university? So I, I did all my. I did a, a bachelor's and a master's, um, both in one in international affairs with a concentration in Middle Eastern affairs, and a bachelor's in American government. And I did them in my off time while I was in the Navy. Gotcha. So one from University of Maryland and the other from Troy State. Okay, and that, is that? And then your... I went to UT to work on my PhD. Oh, cool! So and I taught to. You know, pay for my PhD. Yeah, political science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're. Um, I've casually observed some of your writing, and I've always thought it was really insightful and oh. good, and 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 pretty unbiased. You know, I'm, that's what I, I really and I've really. I mean, I haven't been writing that much lately because I don't want to write anything on Facebook in particular, unless like I don't want to write. You know. Donald Trump is this or that, mm-hmm. and or go this or that candidate. I don't want to write unless I can say something that I think other people are missing that they're not saying, or unless I can bring a criticism of the media or something, a way to talk about it. Like, look, I'm not saying this about this candidate. I'm saying this about this is how media operates. Mm-hmm. Or if I can say something, you know, that brings in the perspective of a political scientist in a way that, that people aren't looking at things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's something that, that I've really noticed that I think, 
I think our current administration has a legitimate gripe with is that the media is not always not always right. They're not always doing the right thing. They're not always saying what's true. They're looking for clicks. They're looking for you know ad dollars. Yeah, and I mean, all that. I, I don't know how much you want to get into politics here and everything, but yeah, that's exactly it. Now, Matt Tiabi has an awesome new book that really talks about the changes that have happened in the media. It's called Hate Incorporated, and it really talks about specifically about the changes that have happened just in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. when it's become, as you say, much more. You know, the idea that media is left or right, I mean, obviously Fox is right-wing biased, and Fox is a different network from other things. But MSNBC has, since the Trump administration, they weren't like this before, but they've become almost like Fox. Yeah, the other way. And they didn't used to do that. I mean, they didn't used to twist the truth or anything, but they have now. And and it's because, but the way media is biased is not towards left or right in general, except to that. It's biased towards making you watch again, mm-hmm. towards creating conflict, towards simple explanations. You know, they don't want to, like 60 Minutes. I mean, I like 60 Minutes, but it's not, they're never going to say there are 14 causes to this systemic problem. You know, they're going to give you a face and say it's this guy's fault. Gotcha. That's how, you know, yeah, Watergate is not a problem of of expanding powers in the presidency and a lack of oversight from Congress that's been going on for four presidents. Mm-hmm. It's Nixon. He's bad. Yeah. And so that that's what media is biased. And media is biased towards the status quo. Which And you see that now. You see, I mean, it's hard to say that the media is left wing when there is a pretty obvious, you know, I don't know if bias is the right word, but a non-preference for Bernie Sanders. Because the people that are that are have access now won't have access into Sanders' property. And that's what it's about. It's about preserving your access, preserving your, your place in line, preserving your position, preserving your viewerships, generating clicks. It's all about that, much more than it is about, you know, serious investigative journalism. And and people like that. I mean, there's tons out there. There's groups like ProPublica. You know, the Washington Post has done some great investigative journalism. The New York Times has done some great investigative journalism. But, but yeah, I mean, TV. I've I've just given up on TV as a yeah. medium of of of, mm-hmm. of acquiring political information. It's yeah. it's not it's not use. It, I used to think it was useful under certain circumstances. I don't believe it's. I believe it does more harm than good, and it's completely useless now. You're probably right, and I think they're scrambling a little bit just with all the cord cutting and and people no longer people that feel the exact same way that you do yeah. they they no longer have a use for television yeah. um and they're I want to be clear television news I love television yeah <laughs> I watch a lot but um well yeah but television but, news you know you go and you look at your Golden Globes and all that and and there's there's uh, a disproportionate amount of over the top platforms like Netflix and Amazon Prime that are now mm-hmm. winning those awards because you know, they're creators of 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 that kind of content because they can take chances. Yes, they can. And people like that mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. People, I generally believe that people that people are underestimated. People can watch complicated things. They can follow it. They like it. They like investigative journalism. They like to really know things. They don't have to be given a 30-second soundbite. Just because you've trained them that way, that doesn't mean that they're all they are. You could just as easily train them to follow media in a different way. Mm-hmm. That's what fascinates me about this particular medium, podcasting, is um, I think I heard Bill Maher say it uh, the other day. He said something like, you know, people's attention spans are even either like eight seconds or three hours. You know, like people will, will if you get that. That's a really good thought. It, it kind of interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so many companies out there trying uh, trying to just get your thumb to stop on their Instagram feed mm-hmm. or get your thumb to stop for three seconds. And then, you know, once you press go on it, it might be an hour-long podcast that you're listening to. And people do have patience. They're, they, they don't want a distilled, dumbed-down version of anything. Look, look at the viewer, not viewership in the right word, listenership, I guess, for somebody like Joe Rogan. Sure. Who does in-depth, long interviews, and people like it. Yeah. And it's not any particular – it's not like it's just university professors listening to it. It's regular people listening to it while they're commuting. Yeah. Or whatever. Exactly. And, and another thing I've and I've said this before, but but pa- being able to passively take in information, not having to stare at a TV screen or not having to stare at your phone screen, um, to be able to to passively listen to a Joe Rogan or anybody else on your way to work, you know, is is a really 
I think, viable medium to get information in people's hands. And people are hungry for information. Yeah, and I think the really important thing is, like, no matter what you think of me right now, like, you're hearing me. Mm-hmm. You're not hearing you talking about me. You're not hearing you filtering or you saying the three most important things about me or this. You're just hearing me. Sure. You know, and that's it's really valuable to hear, you know, to hear Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or whoever talking for three hours and Absolutely. just making your own judgment based on listening to them without any without any filter between you. I think that's where this medium wins or it or or just where patience wins. I mean, um exactly. I'm not, I'm not taking I'm not taking, you know, Fox or MSNBC's take on a certain situation. I'm hearing it from you. I'm hearing it from the person who who's actually who's actually about who's who's actually living that. I think that's I think it's important and I, and I hope that I hope that this kind of medium keeps taking off because I think it's I think it's important and I think people I think people can take it in. Now, I don't listen to them near enough. I really want to listen to more podcasts, but you know, like everybody, I have a whole lot of music I want to listen to and, you know, yeah. A whole lot of sports talk I want to listen to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're big you're a big music fan, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. What's that? What's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was always it. I just saw uh, like and I remember I was so when I was growing up, I was I listened to to um really classic country. So I have a real weakness still for like old country story songs like, like B- Big Iron in El Paso. <laughs> yeah. All that stuff. And um and then I was in I wasn't allowed to listen to rock and roll at all. Christian family. You weren't, yeah. Growing up. And um I turned on the TV and there was this these blue laser lights going all it was like midnight there's these blue laser lights going all over the place and i'm like what is that and it wasn't really music it was just this sound like i'm like what the heck is that and um and then i see some guy marching like holding a microphone and marching (laughs) and i see this drummer beating all over the drums and um with his headphones falling off and then someone goes yeah and it was won't get fooled again no way. The, I, turned the into, who? I turned into the middle of it. And then here comes Pete Townsend sliding across the stage on his knees oh, with a guitar. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. How I want to play you? guitar. Like 10. Oh, I was like, I want to play guitar and I want to hear this music. <laughs> Just And I never got over it, man. And I was really disappointed when I actually saw that and after I was a photographer and paid attention. Mm-hmm. And I raised, they filmed that whole thing in a warehouse because they didn't get any, because the sound got messed up at the concert that they recorded. Mm. So they needed two songs. So they just invited a bunch of family and friends and filmed it in a warehouse. And it's an amazing performance, except that that one moment is staged. Oh, yeah. You can see the light change, and he's like on one side of the stage, and then he's sliding on the other side of the stage with no time to have moved. Yeah. And you can tell that that one moment is staged, but still yeah. one of the greatest moments Little in rock history. Continuity so, issue. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So the Who is kind of what got you into rock and roll. And yeah, all that? and then the beat, and then I heard the Beatles and yeah, the Red and the Blue albums, and then I just started listening. The first records I bought for myself were Back in Black in Kingsport, Tennessee. Oh, nice. The first day I kissed a girl. Uh oh. At like seventeen years old at Warriors Path State Park. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Laura, was it? <laughs> it wasn't Laura, was it? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that she was, was later. Much, she was much later. Yeah. Um. Did you play? Yeah. Did you start playing at that point? No, I didn't start playing guitar until I was like twenty-two. Really? Yeah, and it just never seemed like something I could do for myself. And then one day I was like, oh, maybe I can." You still play? Oh yeah, yeah. I play out. I play with. I sit in with people once in a while. Okay. Mostly I stink, but I take pictures of them so they have to let me play with them once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> they tolerate you. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, well, you're you're. I, I feel like you're pretty. I feel like you're pretty important to our. Um, it's our music scene here, which I think is amazing, our music scene that we have going on. But I think there's some pretty epic photo work that you've that you've done um, of some bands that maybe you know might not have anybody covering them, or might not have resources of a talented professional photographer that can do that stuff for them. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people. All the bands help me do it, you know, and Scott West pays me, so we should we should thank him first and foremost for 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 helping me do this. But um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like we have a really important scene here, yeah, and a really good thing going. I'm a big supporter of WDVX, yep, and um, so I do a lot of stuff with them and work with them a lot. And I'm, I don't know. I guess I am very conscious that, not to sound self-important, but I'm very conscious that this is a 
I mean, I don't know if it's a special moment any more than any other moment is special, but it's a time that exists with all these bands that's really good that 25 years from now people are going to look back on and remember fondly. Yeah. And 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 I'm the main one that's documenting it. And I, you know, I enjoy that. And um and I also feel a little bit sense of responsibility. So I mean I go out sometimes when I don't want to go out because really because I do feel like, you know. I'm documenting this stuff. Yeah, know? yeah. And so, so it feels like a job a little bit sometimes. I feel, most of the time, really. Yeah. Well, that's. Um, I don't know. I think it's pretty. Noble. I mean, not a bad job. Right. I mean, it's a good job. <laughs> I mean, I go out and drink and listen to music and take pictures. It's a good job. But yeah, it's a job. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I do it when I when I don't feel like doing it yeah. often. Yeah. You know? Um, Scott West's a pretty fascinating guy. Is he good buddy of yours? Oh yeah, yeah, for a really long time. Yeah, you guys got pretty have gotten pretty close over the years. Yeah, sure. and he's he's amazing. I mean, people don't know. I've I've seen Scott so many times pull five hundred dollars out of his pocket and give it to a struggling waiter. I've seen him hold events and you know tell the people it was going to cost him five hundred dollars and then giving them the money, donating the money to the charity. You know, I've seen him. You know, I've seen him write three thousand dollar checks for charity events, and you know. He hired, I, mean, I don't know what he needs. I mean, he hires, one of the things you have to do to have a cool art scene in a place, and we can talk more about this later, but, you know, you have to hire, you have to, some some budding musicians and everything are un, unhirable. What, <laughs> yeah. what, do you, what do you mean by that? I mean, some people are so focused on, like, being a musician or whatever, mm-hmm. and they need money and they need to eat. Right. But they're also like, man, I can't work this shift because I have to practice, and I can't do this, and I have to, blah, blah, and, you know. So you mean working at his, working at yeah, his and spot? He, yeah, and he hires some people that are, that are, you know, not necessarily the best workers, that, yeah, and, you know, but they're good musicians, are good artists, are good, or just somebody who needs help, right? You know, he he really thinks about that stuff. I mean, he hires a lot of people who are, you know, obviously if you're, you know, at the Preservation Pub at nine o'clock on Friday night, that bartender is going to be on it. Yeah, but he hires people to clean and stuff and everything, and to do a lot of stuff for him to do construction, yeah. to do a lot of stuff. Who are you know, he could probably find better people, but they need help, and he helps them. That's fantastic. And, I don't know a lot about. I don't know a lot about him other than what, you know, is written in the newspaper 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah. And But he's somebody I'd like to talk to just to just to hear their story because he's another one of those guys like you who's always <laughs> who's always fascinated me he's for, a, for, for, some, for some reason. He's a fascinating guy who's, yeah. you know, I mean, he's built, you know, he's come from nothing and built, you know, he has, I don't know, five or six businesses now. I don't know how many. But, you know, another four or five legendary places that were awesome that closed, like the World Grotto. World Grotto you know. was amazing. Right? I spent yeah. so many great nights at the World Grotto. What happened? Why did it Why did it go away? Well, that was just related to his, what he calls his, his adventure sabbatical. Yeah. It's, yeah <laughs> a couple years that we yeah, went on a sabbatical. Uh, that place was awesome. The crystal uh, waterfall deal down well, all there. All that will be in the new place in Bernadette's. Oh, yeah. Where's that going? Everything plus a whole lot more. Really, um, I'm not really privy to everything, so yeah. I can't. I don't know anything about dates or anything. Yeah. They're taking their time because it's going to be mm-hmm. right. So yeah. it's been like a, it's been like a year and a half. Yeah, but they're doing everything right, and it's not going to open until it's ready, cool. and it's awesome. Do they have a space for it yet, or do they just? Yeah, yeah, it's right. Now, it's what used to be Rita's ice cream right next to the pub. Oh, cool. So everything is built out. Basically, so there's okay. going to be a new kitchen on the second floor. There's going to be a connection to the pub on the second floor. Gotcha. So everything, like the basic framing and everything is all done and everything. And it's just all about decoration now. Awesome. And so the roof is almost done. Mm-hmm. And then the roof, there was a big issue because the city, you, you have an exit. So you can only have so many square feet related to the size of your exit. Mm. So they actually wound up having to like build things to use up space on the roof. They so they like, didn't have as much usable square footage? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. You can't just like put as many tables as will fit. You're not allowed right. to do that. You have to Fire have a marshal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that so that led to some redesign and everything. And they've and they've I mean that roof is just it's incredible. It's one of the most beautiful spaces I've ever seen in any city ever. And and it'll connect to the pub? The on the roof? Well the roof is one roof. <clears throat> Oh, really? It's it's one roof. It just goes right across. Gotcha. So is there still I haven't been <coughs> I haven't been on the rooftop at the pub in a long time. Um there's a building in between the pub and Scruffy City Hall, right? Right. And did the Wests recently acquire that building? No. No. That belongs to an architect. I don't know his name. Okay. Um, so that's still in between those two yes. establishments. Yes. I always thought 
some way, a ladder or something. I'm not at liberty to say, but Scott West might have had a thought or two about that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He might have an idea or two if it ever becomes available. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Who are some really, who are some bands that you have photographed that have come through town that you feel really, really good about? Um, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I do most of my, most of my photography that, music photography that the bigger bands were at festivals. Oh, okay. But I mean, in town, I mean, and I was lucky enough to photograph Chris Stapleton at the pub. Oh, wow. KG Elephant at the pub. Wow. I didn't photograph him, but I saw the Avett brothers at the pub. Okay. Um, Dwight Yoakam's guitar player, um, Pete Anderson, I shot mm-hmm. him at the pub. Um, I know there's a lot more I'm forgetting. Yeah. But your portfolio but, uh, is but a like, lot. But like Black Pumas yeah. at Barley's, um, Tank and the Bangers at Barley's. Yeah. You know, Moon Taxi on Market Square. Yeah. And Moon Taxi on the roof of the pub. No way. That, when was that? They filmed a video. If oh, you just search no way. for it, there's a video of them on the roof. Is it the, the song the that talks about Market Square? What's that? Song? Uh, I think so, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I went to high school with Wes Bailey, the keyboard player. Oh, okay. For Moon Taxi. He and I were in the talent show together yeah. uh, my senior year in high <laughs> oh, school. Awesome. He played the piano. I I've played met him once or twice, but I don't really know him. He's a good dude. I, was, I tried to get him on last week when they were in town. And he was busy. I was thinking, like, what are some of my favorite things? The Dirty Governors did a surprise show at the pub. Yeah. When they were still, when they were big. Yeah. I mean, not they're big now, but, but yeah. Know, it wasn't a small thing. It was when they were already pretty big. Yeah. And, um, that was just one of the most sweatiest rock and roll nights. Um, Will Horton from the Black Cadillacs did like gotcha. half the set for them. It was just oh, it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, the Flaming Whips at the Mill in the Mine. Oh yeah. Oh god, that was a that was so fun to photograph. Is Wayne Coyne still rolling over the crowd in a big? Oh yeah, he big did that. And he, came, <laughs> he came out with a big um, inflatable balloon that said "Fuck yeah, Knoxville." Oh yeah, I remember and, seeing photos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that guy's a trip. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Well, what about some um, festival work? What are what are which one of the, which ones of those have you enjoyed working? KG Elfin is always really fun. Yeah. Lots of I got my eyebrows burned off by their pyro once. <laughs> um, this one, um, Matt Schultz ran way out in the audience and was coming back, and I don't know him, but I've met him a couple of times, so he knows my face. And he um, jumped up on a fence. And I gave him a hand to jump down. He jumped down. And he grabbed me and kissed me on the lips oh, <laughs> and ran off. And another photographer took a picture of it and he showed it to me. Oh, no. And I was like, yes. And I gave him my card, but he never sent it to me. Oh, so, bummer. So somewhere there's a picture of me kissing Matt Schultz, which I would love to have <laughs> if you're listening. Um, what festival was that at? Oh, that was, uh, it. That was at Bonnaroo, okay. I believe. Um, Florence and the Machine at Bonnaroo. Yeah. That was incredible. That was yeah. so fun. Um, Nick Cave. I'm the yeah. biggest Nick Cave fan in the world. And I'd, I'd actually, the schedule got really mixed up because um, Lauren Hill was like an hour late at one place. And they moved her to another place, and she was an hour late there, and I never did see her. And I promised the Black Cadillacs I would photograph their whole thing, so I'd ran over to shoot the Black Cadillacs, and I only got to the second half of Nick Cave, and it was just one of the best best things I've ever seen. It was fabulous. Yeah. Um, Paul McCartney. Oh man! See the legend. How was that to <laughs> have that you know Beatles experience as a kid, and then oh god, I've did seen you him, cry? I've seen him three times. Oh my god, the whole oh god, yeah. <laughs> it was again. It was um, who all was out there? Brad Pointer was there yeah. with me, and and Will Horton, and um, Scott and Rusty, and I just all of us were out there. You know, no, 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 no. Their arms around each other. All of us were crying. Man, you can't not cry. Yeah. Um. Paul McCartney seems like a fantastic dude. And he's still so good in concert. Yeah. You know? If you see him more than once, you realize he tells the same stories every time. But yeah. But they're good stories. What the hell? <laughs> you know? Paul McCartney. I mean, other than that. Yeah. Um, oh, so what's the work in the festival world like? Is I mean, I just know um, I helped a buddy of mine do a, an art installation at Bonnaroo one year. And it's like. <clears throat> all the damn hoops you got to jump through and lugging all your shit so far through, you know. It's, it's a lot of that. Yeah. Is know? it? Yeah. Like, like a typical thing last year, I'm still, oh, still mad about this, Ashley. <laughs> last year, and I mean, Scurry's doing what they're supposed to do. But yeah. They don't want, they won't let you walk in. What do you mean they won't let you walk in? You can't so, walk into guest camping. You have to be in a car. Ah. Uh, so yeah. we only had one guest camping pass. And yeah. We had four people and all our stuff. 
So what we did was we came down in two cars because mm-hmm. we didn't have room for all the stuff and four people in one car. Yeah. So and I parked my car somewhere safe and we moved everything to the other car. Mm-hmm. But then we didn't have room for two people because mm-hmm. all the camping stuff fitted, filled it up. But they also won't let you, once you come in, you can't come back out. Of guest camping in a, yeah. in a car? So they just, you know, they won't let me walk in. Yeah, you're I stuck. Can't so basically, I just sat there by the road, and I waited, and then um, Joseph Woods, Black Atticus, came by. Yeah. And I hopped in the van with Atticus, and I <laughs> rode 10 feet, and I got out of the van. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there's some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, um, but you know, they're trying to do what they have to do to, to make everybody safe and make it yeah. work. But Guest camping is a way to go at Bonnaroo. And there's shade. Yeah, the shade. <laughs> you know, that's the big thing. Every every rope of my tent is tied to a tree. Yeah. And my tent is completely under the trees. Have you ever have you ever But been it's also to, louder. It is louder yeah. because you're right behind uh mm-hmm. witch stage. Right. Yeah. Um uh did did you ever do the Bonnaroo experience in, in Gen Pop? No. Yeah. Rusty Odom, the um publisher blank, yeah, has been to every one. Yeah. And he gets on me all the time for being overprivileged. <laughs> yeah. Because I've, I've been to, this is my 10th Bonnaroo in a row, and I've only been a guest. Yeah. So. I can't go back after after <coughs> uh, after going in, in guest camping. My wife um, taught taught a yoga class on the on the solar stage Sunday one year, and me and Roman and uh, Roman Karpinek and Sarah mm-hmm. and my dad all went together, and we said that was the first time I'd stayed in guest camping <laughs> and, and said, yeah, no, I, I can't go back. Because, you know, when I was in college, uh, it was all – Gin pop, <laughs> staying out in the sun, and six o'clock in the morning, that sun's coming up. No yeah, matter that's what the time main you issue is, is yeah, it just gets so hot. But yeah. everybody knows now to like bring a pop up, and you put a pop up over your tent. So yeah, but they're, still, they're getting better. It's still hard. You ever seen on a Monday how many of those pop ups are left over <laughs> when everybody drives away? We had one year. These guys from um, Seattle, probably tech guys. Yeah. They flew in and they went to Walmart and just bought everything. Mm-hmm. Tents, sleeping bags, yeah. five bottles of whiskey, sunglasses, everything. Yeah. yeah. And then just left it all. Yeah. So we just all, you know, took our pick of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they just they showed up with a rolling suitcase that they yeah. carried onto the plane and exactly. able to do everything else. Um, so blank uh blank newspaper. I'm not really fam- that familiar with that publication. Um, but did it kind of fill in where the mer- where the where the Metropolis of Mercury kind of left to, off? To a degree. Yeah. You know, we have, like, really great writers like Wayne Bledsoe and mm-hmm. um, and Luke Brogan and um, Steve Wildsmith yeah. with us. And um, But we, Plank's message has always been just to be positive. To yeah. just report good stuff. Yeah. So we don't really do investigative journalism. It's not our, it's not our niche. Yeah. You know, we cover music and festivals and store openings and good things, things yeah. we like in the city. And we don't really, you know, so we don't fill in that aspect of, of um, of Metropulse, and I would like to personally. But, yeah, Metropulse um, did do some investigative stuff, right? They did a lot of really great investigative stuff, and throughout the country, it's like all newspapers are the ones who are, you know, no Gannett newspaper yeah. is going to touch that stuff anymore. Yeah, so you know, so so it's, it's local, you know, nonprofit newspapers are the ones who are who are doing it. And yeah, so that Metropulse is really missed, you know, and they did a yeah, they did a lot, man. but you know, you have Compass now who's doing who's doing a good bit of what the Metropolis did, at least as far as, like, local government and everything. So that's great. Are you working with them at all? No. No. How, how old is Blank? I would, yeah. Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a shout. Blank is, oh, man, Rusty's going to be mad. Um, maybe you must have fif- skipped your orientation. Maybe <laughs> 15 years. Really? Um, yeah. Cool. So uh, how, how did it get started? I've been doing it for, like, 10. Really? Yeah. Oh, cool. um, Rusty was, Rusty, like sports and music, and mm-hmm. um, and thought there was a niche yeah. for a newspaper that was doing something a little different. So yeah, we're we're Knoxville's oldest independent newspaper. That's so cool, man. I uh, see. Is there a music festival that goes along with that now? Yeah, Second Bell. Yeah, which will be coming up on August 29th. Is it Sutry's Landing? <coughs> it's a Sutry's Landing. Is this the third year? This will be the third year. Yeah. Yes. So there's two stages. We've um, in the past we've had some problems with it being so hot. So yeah. we worked out a shade solution. Okay. So there'll be a lot more shade this year. The lineup is going to be really good. We'll probably reveal it in mid-April. Okay. Some of it's still being firmed up. But, yeah. But the parts of it that are already firm are really good. Oh, good. And we'll be working with borrowers again. Okay. Doing some like what we call second best soirees, where some of our headliner, like a headliner, maybe not necessarily a headliner, but somebody who's going to play the festival in August will maybe play borrowers in April or something. Oh, okay. And 
a little raising awareness festival. That's cool. Thing. That's neat. You think we're going to miss Rhythm and Blooms as a community? Oh, yeah. And I'm sure it'll be back in some form or the other. So um, I would imagine, you know, once once all the dust is settled from everything that's going on, I'm sure that it's too good an idea and too good of a festival not to, you know, not to come back. So I'm sure in some fashion or form it, it will come back. It seemed really important. Yeah, and they, they do have the one-day thing going on this year. but Do they? What's that? <coughs> um, so I don't know too much about it, actually. It's in the World's Fair Park. Okay. It's a one-day festival. Uh, Southern Skies, okay. it's called. And so it's the Dirty Governors and Ben Rector and two other bands. Okay. And it's a one-day thing. put on. I think it's put on by Dogwood Arts. Okay. Or at least they're involved with it. So that, that I mean, that'll be fun. But to me, it's... It's not the same as a three-day festival in the old city where you close down the streets in the old city and everything. That's just so nice and so fun. And, and World's Fair Park, to me, will never be the same as having it in the city. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Did you ever do any of the Hot Summer Nights concerts at World's Fair Park? Do you remember those? In the, were you here in the I 90s? I think most – no, no. Those, those I visited occasionally mm-hmm. to visit my mom, but I, no, those were before my time in yeah. general. My first concert was Dave Matthews Band, World's Fair Park, 1994. Yeah. God, whenever awesome. I hear about all the concerts I missed, you know, <laughs> R.E.M. at Alumni Gym or oh, man. You know, Benny Smith with UTK is yeah. good about everyone's or, um Jeff Bills from the V-Roys. Those guys are good on Facebook every once in a while was saying, hey, what was your concert? And then you just get all these great stories of stuff I missed, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully there'll be a lot more of it yeah. coming up. I hope so. Um, so I had Will Wright on the show. Do you know that guy? Yeah, I know him a little bit. Yeah. He was, he was, we didn't get, we talked about his music career a lot and we didn't get to talk about his his writing, but did, did you guys ever work together at Blank? Because I know he did some writing. And- well, we worked together for the basketball. We used to go to basketball games together, and he would write about the basketball games, and I photographed them. Gotcha. Yeah, and, I mean, Will's a brilliant writer. Will's brilliant at everything. So he's a such an, a such a like. There are projects of his that were just like a lark, like oh, this group called Weird Miracles. Mm-hmm. I think Weird Miracles maybe played like three shows, and I missed that like a hole in my heart. That band was so good, <laughs> really. You know, and that's that's the kind of thing he does. I mean, Sinru is such a underrated amazing band that's mm-hmm. about to come out with like their 20th album i yeah. think mm-hmm. you know and it's all good yeah you know and then let alone his soundtrack work that he's doing now is he's created a whole new life for himself yeah it's like kind of a big earsy composer yeah and that's unbelievable yeah big ears have you shot that uh, all year every year every year so yes didn't it start and then go away did it started, it ran for, so I didn't shoot the very first year and then I shot every other year okay. and I th- it ran for either two years or three years and then went away for either for two years or three years, mm-hmm. and then came back. And since it came back, I think it's been, I think this will be the eighth or ninth one since it came back. Wow. And, um, yeah, and Big Ears is, it's it's changed everything about me. Really? Yeah, it's been such a, um, a transformative experience working wow. with all those people, meeting all those people. Um, I mean, you're talking about a concert experience. I got to once sit in the Tennessee Theater with um, Philip Glass and Laurie Anderson yeah. on stage and no one else in the theater. Sound check? Yeah, and I was photographing them. And just Man. and I got to just listen to those two do their thing with no one else around. Mm. I mean, it was unbelievable, you know. All right, I got into that kind of... I got into Big Ears music because of Big Ears. Wow, but, okay. But the only thing I knew before was Kronos Quartet. yeah. Because Kronos yeah. Quartet had, there was this guitar magazine called Guitar Player, and it used to have tear-out 45s in it. Oh, yeah. So it would actually have like a little plastic record yeah. in it, and you could tear it out and play it on your record player. Yeah. And um, the only time they ever had anything in it that was not a guitar player, because, you know, Guitar Player magazine, was Kronos Quartet's recording of Purple Haze. Oh, that's awesome. And I heard that, and I loved it, and it made me pay attention to, to Kronos. And then Kronos is, has worked with everybody, so I discovered other people through I would buy a Kronos record and I would yeah. hear the other people. Went down it. the rabbit hole. Yeah, so then the first year at Big Ears that Kronos played, man, I, I just, oh my God. I saw them like eight times and I think I cried every time. <laughs> That's amazing. Did, and, did they, uh, didn't they, didn't they do a show at uh, the Museum of Art? On yeah. That, on, well, they on that opened. Big Ears? They, um, when Ash, after Ashley Capps, the AC Entertainment, mm-hmm. after he gave his introduction speech, Kronos played a couple songs with, wow. um, I want to say Wu Mei, but it's not her because okay. she's the one that works with Abigail Washburn. 
It's a Chinese people player, a little kind of Chinese lute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've it seen was photos. A, it was a woman that played that. It was I can't remember her name, but it was her and Kronos, and they did they did a couple songs. It was oh, it was great. I feel like um, and that that year they played with they played with Sam Amidon, they played with Rhiannon Gideon's. Yeah, they played with um, Bryce Dresner from the National. Yeah, they played with that people player whose name I should really remember. So yeah, it was incredible. Was that didn't Jim Jarmusch have a band that? Jim Jarmusch has a band called, um, oh, it's eluding me. It's I, one of those names where they, it's a simple word, and yeah. they, they took the vowels out, and it's just the consonants. Yeah, I, I, I remember studying him in film school, yeah. and then coming out and seeing that he was, you know, yeah, and 10 years loud, later had a band. Very loud sludge rock. Yeah. And Rick Nielsen was watching that show. Wow. Remember, and so was um, Kim Gordon was watching that show. Okay. So uh, every time, every time Big Ears takes over Knoxville. Um, you know, rhythm, rhythm, <coughs> when Rhythm and Blooms comes to town, it's like the local community gets out and about. Mm-hmm. When Big Ears comes to town, I feel like it's it's people from all over the place. It's not just the local community. So I, I don't know the stats, but I know that I don't think, I don't think 10% of the paying tickets for Big Ears are from Knoxville. Really? Yeah, it's, I mean, every every hotel in town is sold out. Everybody's from somewhere else. Yeah. Because, but that's what Big Ears, it, the thing is, even in outside of like Berlin and New York, even in a big city like say, you know, Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri, not Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> even there, I don't know that a lot of these artists that there would be that many people there who would be attracted to them. Really, you know, because so it takes because it's avant garde. So what this, yeah. what the whole what Big Ears does is it brings all the people who like this music to one place so these yeah. audiences can have some really significant crowds it's outside of, you know, New York City or Tokyo or Berlin. Gotcha. Mm. Is this do you th- is this like Ashley's music? Or is oh, that, yeah. Is what he likes? <laughs> I told Ashley one time, I said, I firmly believe that the way you book this concert is by going through your contact list on your phone and going through your playlist – and yeah. whatever matches. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is one of the diagram. Most, it is, I, I, in my opinion, I mean, I've talked to him about this when I've interviewed him, so I don't want to put words in my mouth, but to me, it seems like one of the most intensely personal festivals, maybe the most intensely personal festival that exists in America, which is one thing I really like about it. I mean, yeah. it's really, it's, you know, I mean, they obviously pay some attention to, demographics and marketing and everything. But yeah. I think a lot less so than most other festivals. It's really, you know, it's much more about about them trying to say you should listen to this instead of trying to book things that, that you would already listen to. Already listen to. Yeah. You know. We um uh, my wife and I were checking out at the at the um at the co-op one day at, before big ears probably five years ago and we were right behind Ashley and my wife knows Ashley. And uh, he had a copy of the New York Times that he was picking up from from the uh, from the co-op, and he turned around to Sarah, my wife, and he said, uh, "There's a, there's a write-up about Big Ears in here today." And I, you know, I see him out all the time, and and he's just you know the most the most humble looking guy. But he he looked like a kid on Christmas Day. The fact that they, it's his passion, man. Yeah, it's that, his passion. It means New York much Times more are, to him than any than any other festival. I think. Yeah. I mean, that's not like he doesn't work on the others or anything. But I mean, this is his. This is his baby. This is what he really, really cares about, I think. I'm going to go this year. I hadn't been to Big Ears yet. It's, you know, everybody asks me, like, what's your favorite show? Yeah. My favorite show, I never know until after the festival. Really? It's always a surprise, and that's that's all I can tell you. The best advice I can give you is to just, you know, just wander around and listen with as open mind as you can. Yeah. Try to understand what they're doing. If you hear something that you don't understand, then... Let it piss you off a little bit mm-hmm. and go, why don't I understand this? And investigate and try to figure out why you don't understand it. <laughs> and, you know. Well, you said that it changed everything about you. What do you, what's that? What's that mean? <laughs> it made me, I wrote this big article last year about, um, and it was called Down the Rabbit Hole. It's one of my, maybe my favorite thing I ever wrote. And I interviewed like 25 people for it. And it was all about like, it was about sour beers and big ears. Oh. And it was like, and it started because this guy at work, I was telling him how um, I didn't like, I had didn't like sour beers. But lots of my friends liked them and told me I should try them. So I made myself drink them. 
until I like them. Yeah. And he went, why? <laughs> He's like, and he was genuinely puzzled. He was like, yeah. you like beer. Why would you drink something you don't like? Yeah. And, and you know, why would you listen to music you don't like? Yeah. You know? I remember I was in this Kenji Hino show, and Kenji Hino is this Japanese noise guitarist, and this was in Scruffy City Hall, and it was pitch black. He had us tape over the power lights on his amplifiers because he wanted there to be no light whatsoever. Wow. I think it was the most crowded show ever in Scruffy City Hall, but you can't tell because you couldn't see anything. Completely dark. I'm completely <laughs> dark. And it sounded like a train wreck. Really? But, I mean, literally, like two <laughs> locomotives smashing into each other, except it was louder, and I presume train wrecks stop, and this didn't. <laughs> and And I walked out, and I was like, I did not enjoy that. And then I was like, well, A... I think whether my fat ass enjoyed it or not was the last thing on Kenji Hino's mind. And B, there's a presupposition there that there's a only one way to enjoy music. Right. You know, that you're supposed to enjoy music because it's pretty and has a melody or whatever. Yeah. But music can evoke lots of different emotions other than that. Sure. And that's what Big Ears is about. Big Ears is about, you know, sometimes people listen to the stuff because they want to lay down on the floor and meditate. Uh-huh. And they want to feel the tendons inside their knees vibrate when right. somebody hits a certain note. Uh-huh. Or they want to feel their, you know, like swans. I mean, swans literally, I think, moved my internal organs around. I mean, it was the loudest thing I've ever heard by <laughs> by a country mile. Like, nothing else is even close. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, God, I mean, it's just, it's just hard to describe. But it just, it made me open my mind and think about stuff in a different way. And that openness has since extended a lot more to movies and literature. I was going to ask everything. I was going to ask if yeah. that if that then transferred itself into other parts of like your life. For, I might not have been willing to experiment with sour beers. Yeah, the way I did if I hadn't been already at that point been six years into big years. Yeah, teaches you know? people not to be so damn judgmental. <laughs> exactly, and yeah. um, yeah, that's fascinating, Bill. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go. I'm definitely going to. You're gonna have a good time. I'm, I'm sure I am. What, what do you have coming up? Or you're going to have a memorable time. I'm going to have I a mean, time. I that, mean, that's a better way to, to say it, right? Yeah. It's not necessarily, a, you know. That's a Buddhist again, way to look at it. Right. You know? It's, it's yeah. not necessarily about, you know, I'm not saying, I mean, a lot of it is just plain enjoyable. And I've been at bigger shows where I clapped and laughed and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, Bambino. I mean, that was yeah. just a great freaking dance party, Heard. man. But, um, but yeah, but some of it is, you know, very somber. Some of it's very made, meant to make you think, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I heard this girl, um, Tanya Tadak, and she's this um, Inuit singer. Wow, an Inuit singer? Inuit Eskimo. Yeah. yeah. And um, so to give you an idea, at the beginning of her show, she's like, look, so I get this every show, so before we start, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to ask me at the end of the show, I'm okay. Yeah. And because she is like jumping up in the air and dropping down on her knees and making dolphin noises and screeches and sounding like she's having orgasm and sounding like she's having her heart ripped out oh, and going through just everything you can imagine with only occasionally words being recognizable with a violin and a drum that both had a lot of effects. And just, it was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. I walked out and I sat down on a bench outside the Bijou and I tried to write on Facebook about it. Yeah. And I was shaking and crying really? and couldn't even talk about it. It was so powerful and moving, you know. And then I saw her later with Kronos, and I saw her at Bonnaroo that year, and it was just as powerful both times. What's her name again? Tanya Tadak. I'm I'm going to go back and listen to this and and start digging into some to some of this because I'm very much a guy who reads the who reads the the card and says, oh, I want to see this band and I want to see this band and I want to, yeah. okay, I'll go to that festival. Um, I look at the Big Ears lineup every year, and last year I recognize, or two years ago, whenever it was, I was like, "Oh, Wilco." <laughs> yeah, you know that's and, that's someone. I, and I I'm kind of into this stuff, and I don't know, you know, I probably know ten percent of the acts. Yeah, you know, and a lot of them just because they've been to Big Ears before. Mm-hmm. You know, like Meredith Monk or you yeah. know people like that. I mean, I didn't know them before Big Ears. I just know them from Big Ears. What's the crowd like? Will knows all of this. Does he? Will knows a lot. <laughs> the crowd is um, the crowd is the most amazing crowd ever and the most annoying crowd ever. Really? Yeah. So they're like in mass. Like as a photographer, it's really tough. 
Yeah. Right. They did. I mean, they're there to listen and they don't like photographers in front of them. I've been hit. Really? You know, it's the only place I've ever been hit. Yeah. Um, but if you're like, like one of my favorite things is they have a, um, a beer trade at Sutry's on the Saturday morning. So it's everybody just brings beer from all over the world. Oh, cool. And they, they exchange them. Oh, that's neat. And when you talk to the people there, they're great. When I talk to people in lines, they're great. Yeah. You know, as a crowd, they're there to listen. Yeah. Like I, was, I remember at Bombino, there was a beach ball. And yeah. it was just the saddest beach ball in history because yeah. it'll bounce around mm-hmm. like three times and then hit the head of some, of some, you know, Afro bespeckled Jewish music blog writer from Brooklyn who's standing there with his arms crossed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? and yeah. <clears throat> so there's a lot of that, but um, but once you talk to the people, they're awesome. Yeah, because people who listen to, you know, stupid people don't listen to music like that. Yeah. That makes so, sense. So they're all they're all pretty intelligent, and pretty fun to talk to when yeah. you talk to them. Um, what's coming up that you're excited about? Anything you got in the hopper? I'm the same way. I um, yeah, <laughs> I got a concert. Big ears. I'm really excited. I think the Bonnery lineup is great this year. I think so, so too. I'm super excited about High Water. Oh yeah, that's in Charleston, right? In Charleston. Yeah. Is, is that about, a two day festival? It's a two day festival, and it's really, it's really small. It's just two stages, mm-hmm. and you can just. And the bands play when the band finishes on one stage, it starts on the other. Yeah, that's how Lockin was the first. Yeah, year. so you could see yeah. every you could see every minute of the music. Um, mm-hmm. It's just really accessible. It ends early enough that you can go have a drink somewhere else if you want. That's cool. It's on the water. It's a food festival as much as a music festival. It's a good good city for that. So the yeah, one of the best in America after yeah. New Orleans, I think. Yeah. So the you know so you have all that. I mean, it's just it's wonderful. Uh, the Railbird lineup announces tomorrow. What's that? Where's really that? Excited about that. that's in Lexington, Kentucky. Okay, and so is that an AC thing? That's an AC thing, also. So that's really nice. Is High Water an AC thing? High Water's an AC thing. Really? Yep. Um, Hell, are they still doing Forecastle? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, man, he's got so, so much stuff going on. Yeah. yeah. And there's um oh Bristol Rhythm. I'm Bristol Rhythm Roots is a long way away, but I think the Bristol Rhythm and Roots is the best they've ever done. I think it's a fabulous lineup, and I can't really? wait. When is that? Uh September. Are you photographing all of these, or are you going as a fan? Um, I'm photographing all of these. Do you ever get to just go as a fan, or do you enjoy being there as a photographer? Do you get the same experience? Man, I don't know. You know, I go to so few shows as a fan anymore that I don't know. Like, I haven't been to a festival as a fan at all, ever. Yeah, so always always working. (laughs) You know, so I don't don't know how I would feel if I went to a festival as a fan. Yeah. Um, Do you— I imagine I could have fun. Yeah. Have you gotten in the mirrorless camera game yet? Oh, I want to. You do. I mean, everybody's Fuji always. Fuji makes a nice. Everybody's one. always like, yeah. I have a little, a little Fuji that um, Eli Johnson sold me. Oh, cool. That I use a lot. I love it. It's a little rangefinder. Yeah. But um, you know, you kind of get stuck with your lenses. Yeah. But if I were, if I were buying a new camera right now, I would buy Sony. Really? I've always thought Sony had the best color reproduction, and and actually, I like Sony and Fuji both better than I like um Nikon or or Canon. You're a Nikon guy. I'm a Nikon aren't, aren't guy. You? But that was because, you know, I was a Canon. Because you had the lenses? I was a Canon guy at first. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it depends on where you are in the product cycle. I feel yeah. like Canon makes a better camera for a year. Then Nikon makes a better camera for a year. Then yeah. Canon is better for a year. Yeah. So it just depends on when you buy it, you know? Yeah. So my Canon, I actually left it on the seat in the airport. Oh, I'm still mad about that myself. And then you were a Nikon guy from then on out? And then I had to replace it and buy another one. Um. So what? What? Uh, what Sony camera are you liking? Uh, that A seven R four, I think okay. it is. I might have the number mixed up, but the one it's it's um four thousand dollars. Is it? But it's mirrorless and tiny. It's got a I think a fifty megapixel sensor. Yeah, incredible color, incredible low light because you know low light is kind of my yeah. I, I mean, if you're shooting most. concerts, yeah, yeah, like a ISO. Not to get too nerdy, but they've got yeah. native up in the four thousands with some of yeah. the Sony cameras. Yeah, um, it's amazing, man. I, I'm. I'm very happy to keep ingesting your work. So keep keep pointing me in the in the right direction. Where can people where can people track your stuff down? Um well find Bill Foster on Facebook. Yeah. Knox Bill Photos. K-N-O-X-B-I-L-L, which is a really clever name in writing, but a really terrible name spoken. Knox <laughs> Knoxville Photos? Yeah. Because it sounds like Knoxville photos. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah, and it's right next to it on the keyboard. You know, so it's just, it's. Did you mean Knoxville photos? Yeah, exactly. So it's just I I, I, was, I was so proud of that name. I thought it was so brilliant, and mm-hmm. then it's just it's a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, man, um, thanks a lot for coming by. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to get to know you a little bit. And glad hang to get out to know you. Yeah. It's been fun. Thanks, man. Thank you. Well, there it is. How about that? Bill Foster. Appreciate him being here. And I appreciate you guys listening a lot. Thank you. Follow me on Instagram at South of Scruffy. Send me an email, southofscruffy at gmail.com. Let me know what you think about the show. Love to hear from you guys. Always love hearing from you guys. Thank you guys. We will see you real soon. Matt Honkinen, play me out.